The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. What we have in our possession today in the pages of the New Testament is a collection of puzzle pieces. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the way to Revelation, each one of them are a unique piece of the puzzle of God's message for what it means to live in his kingdom, to follow after Jesus, to be a person that's what God made us all to be. You remember a few years back, there were these movies that were all uh, kind of puzzle movies. So I'm um, thinking about that, uh, the Nick Cage move, movie, National Treasure, Pirates of the Caribbean was a little bit this way. So here's kind of the idea of those movies, if you remember. If you never saw them, it's okay, don't worry about it. All of them were treasure hunt movies. And what would happen is, throughout the story, the the protagonists and the you know their their band of merry men and women would go around collecting these puzzle pieces and then of course when they put it all together it's like aha here's the map here's the direction to get me to where i want to go it would explain something it would be some sort of revelation well that's really what we have whenever we put the pieces of the puzzle of the new testament together they're a road map that leads us back to god or they come together and create a manifesto of what it really means. And whenever we see the, the story of the New Testament and how the writings of the New Testament fit into that story, it really helps us appreciate why these various teachings exist and what, how they relate to us today. Because sometimes you read me like, man, this stuff was thousands of years ago. I don't know if it really is relevant. I don't know if it means anything. Look, the Word of God is an eternally relevant and eternally contemporary thing because what God's addressing are not just um, deals for first century Jews or people living in the Roman Empire or if you back it up, people living in Babylon or people living wherever. No, no, no. God wrote these things in particular periods of time and in particular places on earth. But he's unveiling his own character. He's unveiling his will for what it means to be a true human being, which only happens whenever you know and follow after Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what the New Testament is about. So what we're trying to do in this series right now is look at the the story of the kingdom being established in the book of Acts and how the writings, Romans through Revelation, fit into that story and what that teaches us. Last time we talked about the initial coming of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, but also the attacks from the world uh, around the kingdom, the people who are opposed to Jesus, and the suffering that that brought upon those who would follow after Jesus. One important character in that suffering actually leads us into the next phase of our uh, understanding of this story of the kingdom manifesto, and that's the apostle Paul. Now, Paul, when you first meet him, wasn't Paul, but his name was Saul. He uh, had his origins in a city named Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen. He was someone who was well-trained under a a highly respected Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel. And whenever he first heard about Jesus, Saul thought, like many of his Jewish contemporaries, like many people of his day, he thought that this Jesus of Nazareth wasn't someone worthy of praise or adoration or devotion. He thought he was a blasphemer. In Acts chapter 7 and 8, you see at the end of Acts chapter 7 and the beginning of Acts chapter 8, you see that Saul violently persecuted the church. 
he agreed to the murder of a man named Stephen who was best known for taking care of widowed women. That's how serious this was to Saul. This guy was a true believer in the way of his fathers, and he believed that this Jesus of Nazareth was destroying that way of life. You come to Acts chapter 9, the story picks up with this character Saul. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's how they described the followers of Jesus. Frankly, that's why we have our online presence, the resource we put out. We call it The Way because we're wanting to follow in the footsteps of the early church and the the disciples. That was the way all Christians were described, and we're trying to do that here in Brooklyn. Anyways, uh, if, if Saul found anyone of the way, whether men or women, he wanted to bring them in shackles to Jerusalem. By the way, notice that little detail. It wasn't just men. It was even women, which at that time was kind of shocking. It's like, leave the women alone. They're just you know, taking care of the house and having babies. Who cares? Just take care of the men. But Saul was so serious about it that he even was rejecting the cultural climate of his day and saying, no, 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 even the women, I'm going to get them and take them into custody. This guy was brutal. Well, on the road to Damascus where he was going to try to capture um, these followers of Jesus, these people who belonged to the way, he saw a great light and a voice spoke to him. It was Jesus. And whenever you read Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26, you find uh, Saul, who eventually would have his name changed to Paul, the apostle, one of inarguably the most influential people in Western history and world history. By the way, if you're listening to this and you're not sure what you think about Jesus, maybe a friend said, oh, hey, this kind of gives you a little overview of the history of the early church or whatever, um, check it out. You know that the Apostle Paul, love him or hate him, is one of the most important historical figures ever. And you should note that he did not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was violently opposed to it until he had this experience that led him to faith. Uh, And whenever you read Acts chapter 9, it's the original accounting of it. Acts 22 and Acts 26 gives you uh, later uh, accounts of Paul himself recounting his conversion experience. Anyway, after this, he fasts and he eventually is baptized into Christ. He's saved from his sins. He becomes a Christian. In this process, Jesus told him something really important. That he was not only going to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. But in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, the man who would baptize Saul, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for this man Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the nations and kings and the sons of Israel. The conversion of Saul wasn't just a neat story of somebody who hated Jesus into someone who began to love Jesus. But it's actually an important turning point in the story of the kingdom of God. Up until this point, all the Christians, all the followers of Jesus were Jews. They were people who grew up hearing Torah, keeping the Sabbath. They were people who had been circumcised on the eighth day as the traditions of their fathers, which, by the way, were given to them by God himself, um, had done they were people who traced their heritage through David and Abraham and Moses. These were people who had a deep devotion to God for centuries, not people who were worshiping Apollo or Artemis or were uh, worshiping their own ancestors or something like that. These were people who believed in God. But 
the promise that God had made all throughout the centuries, going all the way back to Abraham, the forefather of the nation of Israel, of the Jews, the promise God had made consistently was that it wasn't the, the, the blessings and the peace and the joy of his kingdom was not just going to be for Israelites, for ethnic Jews. It was going to be for all the nations. And here, Jesus chose a man who was fighting as vigorously as possible for the way of the Jews to convert him to the way of Jesus, to then go and bear witness to the nations of the true gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, there's a couple of other events that align with this theme of the kingdom being for all nations. And by the way, can I just insert this? I think this gets lost sometimes. You know, it's interesting in our day and time, at least a lot of people, I'm not sure how many, but a lot of people can think, oh, Christianity is a European religion, or even more specifically, Christianity is an American tradition or American religion. It never has been, or at least it never was meant to be. Maybe people have corrupted at times to make it into something like that, but not the true essence of Christianity, of the kingdom of God, of the way of Jesus. This is a promise, a hope, a salvation for people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Saul's conversion is one moment where we really see this emphasized. In the very next chapter, apart from Saul's efforts, there's another follower of Jesus, Peter, who had been there with Jesus the whole time. Uh, In Acts chapter 10, we see Peter with a lot of urging from a vision from Jesus to actually go and preach to people of the nations, a Gentile household, a man named Cornelius and all of his household and friends and family had gathered together. They were non-Jews. They hear the gospel. They're baptized into Christ. The kingdom's expanding to all nations. In Acts chapter 11, in verse 19, we read about those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. That's from our last episode Acts chapters 1 through 8. In Acts 8, they scattered. And these people that scattered, it says, they made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word of no one except Jews alone, because that's what they had done up until that point. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, and they began speaking to the Greeks as well, preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, you may be wondering, what's going on with our guy Saul? Well, actually, Saul ends up being grabbed by another brother named Barnabas. Barnabas came to Antioch, helped these brethren out, was encouraging them, was amazed that he saw the grace of God working among them. And he had so much work to do to teach and preach and encourage that he goes and grabs Saul. And then they come and they stay there for quite a long time. Uh, Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 13, they stayed until the Holy Spirit set them apart. Beginning of Acts 13 says the Holy Spirit... Uh, instructed the church in Antioch to set apart Barnabas and Saul to do ministry. And they went out to preach and teach to a number of places in that region. What we would, uh, in the scripture, it's called Asia or Asia Minor, but it's what we know of as the nation of the nation state of Turkey today. Anyway, Saul and Barnabas, they go preaching, and like they would normally do, they would preach to Jews because these were people who knew, again, the scriptures, they knew the promise of God, they knew about the Messiah, they knew about the kingdom. So that was kind of their first entry point. But eventually a strange thing happened is these Jews who you would think would be the most predisposed to accepting the good news of the kingdom of God, they kept on rejecting it. They couldn't embrace that their savior was a lowly carpenter from Nazareth, that the king of kings had been crucified. They couldn't embrace it and take it. 
So at one point, whenever um, they got rejected, Saul and Barnabas said this. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 46, Saul, whose name has now been changed to Paul, says along with Barnabas boldly, Acts 13 verse 46, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life because they were rejecting the gospel. Behold, we are turning to the nations, or the Gentiles. The word Gentiles, by the way, just means people of the nations, non-Jews. For so the Lord has commanded us, quote, I have appointed you as a light to the nations, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. This was the, the mentality of the followers of Jesus at this point, or at least of some of them that we need to be preaching the gospel, the good news that Jesus is king and his kingdom has come, and we need to be teaching people of all nations, not just people who have the ethnic heritage of being Jews, Israelites, but all nations to come and bow at the feet of King Jesus. As you might imagine, even for the followers of Jesus, this didn't go over great. At least it wasn't a very smooth transition from us all having the same heritage, all having the same customs, all having the same background, to all of a sudden we got people from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of foolishness that people are bringing together. And why are they that way? And why do they eat like that? And why are they talking like that? And why don't they do the stuff I do in devotion to God? It was tough. You can read about that in the first part of Acts 11. We looked at the good part in Antioch in the second part of Acts 11. But you read the beginning was the very first time. People were like, hey, Peter, why'd you go to Cornelius' house and preach to Gentiles? He explained it, and they were cool with it. But it didn't take care of the whole deal. In Acts chapter 15, there were some people who came to that church in Antioch, that multi-ethnic church of all these nations, this great model for what Jesus designed, what the prophets had said, a light for all nations what it was supposed to be like. There were people who came from Judea. That's the region where Christianity had begun, where Jerusalem was. And they came and they were teaching these people in Antioch saying, hey, you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. Now, just so you know, circumcision wasn't so much a a question of personal hygiene, but it was a part of the covenant that God had made with the Israelites. It was a sign of their relationship with them. There's a whole interesting deep dive we could do on that. We're not going to do it for sake of time. But suffice to say, it was an important thing for the pre-Jesus covenant that God had made with Israel. But that, So the idea that these teachers had is, hey, if you want to be saved by Jesus now, you've got to adopt the practices that God taught Jews beforehand. Or maybe another way to say it is, you've got to become a Jew if you want Jesus. If you want to become one of Jesus' people, you've got to give up, not just give up your ethnic heritage, but adopt a different ethnic heritage in order to be a follower of Jesus. When you read Acts chapter 15, the conclusion of those who actually knew Jesus, those whom Jesus had appointed as his apostles and messengers, the people who actually had the right to say what was right and what was wrong according to Jesus, they said, nah, man, that's not how it works. Actually, this is where uh, this, this event is closely tied to one of the letters of the New Testament, the book of Galatians. It's unclear if Galatians was written before Acts 15 or after Acts 15. My personal take is that it's probably after Acts 15, but you can read different commentators and get some takes on this. Regardless, the book of Galatians addresses this very issue. Who are the Jesus people? You know, Is it people who share a certain ethnicity? Is it people who adopt certain cultural practices? What's the definition of those 
who are in Christ. And Paul is really passionate. The book of Galatians, honestly, he has some almost violent language because he says, man, there's some people who are messing up the gospel. There are some people who are messing up that gospel. I'm trying to preach so that people of all nations can come under the, the shelter and enjoy the peace and the goodness of a life in Christ. There's people that are messing that up. He clarifies his, the, the truth about the gospel in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 15. And this is a passage, there's probably a couple you could read, actually I may read one other um, briefly here, that summarizes the doctrine that he's teaching here that points us toward the hope that Jesus brings for all nations. Galatians 2 and verse 15 says, We are Jews by nature. It's true. Paul, remember, Saul, the persecutor who was a Jew, who hated these Christians, who he saw as these you know, just, just heretics who were given up on the way until he realized that Jesus was the way, is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father through, except through him. Paul says, We are Jews by nature, by birth, and we're not sinners from among the nations. Nevertheless, knowing that a person is not justified, a person isn't fixed, a person isn't set right, a person isn't brought into God's family because of works of the law, things like circumcision, but it's through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ or some translations say the faithfulness of Christ. The fact that Jesus was loyal to us and gave his life to us, we give our lives to him. And that's what fixes things. That's the hope. And that hope isn't just for one ethnic group. That hope isn't just for one nation. That isn't hope for just people of a certain socioeconomic strata or of political persuasion. This hope of justification, of having things put right, of us being embraced by God and loved by God, is a hope for all who will come to faith in Christ Jesus. Since by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. If you skip down to verse 20, Paul says, Because of this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I'm not a Jew man anymore. I'm not fighting for the way of my forefathers. I'm fighting, well, I guess maybe I am fighting for the way of my forefathers, the real way, the way of Jesus. That's what all those things that the Jewish nation, that Abraham and Moses and David and for centuries God had promised, God's put it together and he's made it available not just to our one ethnic group, our one people group, our one family He's made it available to everyone. It's no longer I who live. It's not Saul the persecutor anymore, but it's Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul continues this discourse and he comes to another way of describing it in Galatians 3, beginning in verse 25. He says, now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian or a tutor. Now that you can know Christ, you've got the real thing that God's been putting together for you. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ. And that's, when you read through the book of Acts, whenever people heard the gospel, Paul himself being one, Cornelius and his household, the people in Acts 2 who were converted, everybody, whether they were Jew or Gentile, male, female, he goes on and breaks it down. It's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for all are one. And we might say one and the same in Christ Jesus, one family in Christ Jesus, because Jesus didn't just come for one people group or one type of person. Jesus came for people of all nations who would love him and be devoted to him 
so that he could bring them to the Father. That's central to his manifesto. He didn't come just to help some people. He came for all nations. Now, the only question is, no matter what nation, nationality, background, socioeconomic um, strata I fit into, no matter what political persuasion I have, am I willing to bow my knee before King Jesus? Am I willing to trust in the love of Jesus, the one who loved me enough to die for me and give himself up for me? It's hard to be a Christian, honestly. Last episode, we talked about that. The suffering and the difficulties, though it is empowering, is still tough. But however tough it is, it's beautiful. It's just what we need. It's really what we want. The love of God for all the nations. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.